Hello, personal productivity enthusiasts and community. Welcome to Anything But Idle, the productivity news podcast. Today's show is brought to you by W3C Web Services. And I'm Ray Sidney Smith. And I'm Auguste Dupinat. And we're your hosts for Anything But Idle. Uh, and this is episode 38. We're recording this on January 11th, 2021. Um, today, we'll be ta talking uh, office desk organization, a little bit about Asana later in the show, and all of the stories about productivity and technology we could jam pack into the show. And of course, each week uh, we cover and discuss the productivity and technology news headlines of the week. And to do that, we have two panelists, which we invite onto the show each week. And uh, today we have Alexis Hasselberger, as well as Matt Plummer from Zarvana. And so let's get them onto the show. Alexis Hasselberger is a time management and productivity coach who helps people do more and stress less through coaching, workshops, and online courses. Welcome to Anything But Idle. Thanks so much for having me on. Excited to be here. Excited to have you. And uh, now we have Matt Plummer. He's a former operations manager and strategy and management consultant turned CEO of Zervana, where he helps other ambitious professionals achieve the same results with workshops, coaching, and an online learning platform. Welcome to Anything But Idle, Matt. Great to be here. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year, Happy New Year. Uh, and so this week's theme is all about Office Desk Organization because today actually happens to be Office Desk Organization Day. Happy Organization, Happy Office Desk Organization Day. Uh, and so I thought this would be a good prompt for us all to have a conversation about the importance of Office Desk Organization and uh, really what some tips you might have as uh, productivity and organization experts uh, for folks who might have a little bit of a messy desk, not me. Um, and so <laughs> uh, what, why, is, why is office desk organization important? Why do we even focus on the concept of your workspace being organized? Who wants to tackle that first? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing that comes up for me, right, is all of those studies about how clutter increases our cortisol levels. Right. And so if we've got physical clutter or digital clutter all over our desktops, we are automatically more distractible because our brains are thinking, ah, there's tigers and bears and all this stuff that isn't really there. And so, you know, for me, that's what I always think about in terms of like the ability to focus with a clean desk versus the lack of ability to focus when you've got post-it notes all over your desk and like four coffee mugs, et cetera. Yeah. I just finished reading um, the book Willpower, Rediscovering um, Human's Greatest Strength. And uh, they have a section in there where they talk about how a clean environment and orderly environment actually enhances and allows us to, you know, operate on willpower and reduces, uh, there's a depletion effect that happens when we engage in tasks that are hard for us or complicated and, and having a clean environment actually reduces that. So that's another byproduct of actually keeping things organized and, and clean there is that you actually reduce the energy consumption that you're using uh, throughout the day. You know, for me, it's a couple of things. It's not only how organized is, but how effective is. That was something that took me more years and more money than what I want to admit or my wife want to remember to find that desk. I try for years to fix how can I build this desk? I, I have you know multiple desktops, multiple computers, multiple tools at, at different times of the day for different tasks, and I try the large table, the small table, and many other things. And I finally found a company in Ohio called Airdesk, and the links will be in the show notes. Who do something? It's an 
desk that you can disorganize. You don't have more space than the minimal space necessary. You can add modules and stuff, but it really don't allow you to have stuff in the desk. And that has been the best thing I have invest on. So I have an arm that has a monitor for the monitor. You're looking me in the camera and I'm an arm under that where there is another computer and an arm on the left. But there is no more space than that. I have a literally a space like this for a notepad and that's it. And that has saved me to really be more productive on this desk. Everything is clear, like it's acrylic, but you know, it's acrylic and transparent. So when I pack, it gets clean and it gives me a lot of peace. I understand all that science as the person who for years tried everything under (laughs) the office catalogs to find that home office. It's funny because what you're talking about is kind of a corollary to, to Parkinson's law where, you know, we're, the, the stuff you have expands to the space you give it in, in a way. And by limiting your space with the air desk, you're in essence only giving yourself so much space to put the things and therefore the things just don't tend to pile up, which is really uh, quite, quite uh, intriguing. Well, it also ties into like habit, that science of habit building too, right? Because if you think about convenience or inconvenience, if it's difficult for you, if you know it's in your nature to want to have kind of the mess and the clutter around and that's a hard thing for you, putting friction there by essentially making it much harder for yourself to pile stuff up is actually really helping you in terms of that science, you know, habit building. Yeah, it it helps a lot. And if, for example, you know, if I want to write, and you know, handwrite something not, that doesn't happen often. But if I ever want to handwrite, I need to basically take the computer in front of me and do it. So, so that forced me to keep this desk organized because there is no other space, and that is awesome. Yeah, this is. Yeah. go ahead, Matt. Go ahead, Matt. Well, I was just going to say, I think that's key because it sounds like Augusto, what you're doing is kind of similar to where I'm at, which is like I don't want paper around in general. And so as a result of that, I'm designing an environment that is all about how do I optimize my devices in such a way that they are set up so that I can use them at the right angles and, you know, in conjunction with each other appropriately. And so I really like having a standing desk um, that I, I just actually was given one that one of those uh, ones where you can adjust, it has presets, which is amazing because you just press the button, it goes up to my standing height. And then I also have a something that sits on top of it that can adjust monitor heights and adjust two devices similar to your arms. And that is key because I like to be able to change my position over the course of the day several times usually. And so being able to do that quickly and to your point, Alexis, without friction is huge. And so my environment's really designed around how do I set up my devices appropriately versus how do I have spaces for non-electronic materials, which I try not to have in general. Yeah, I'm going through this radical change in terms of my own office desk organization because for the past you know, 10 months, I've been in a new home and that new home has now also been my office 
and that was not in the plan uh, when we when we purchased this place so there there's just been a huge uh kind of learning curve for me in terms of how to make this space both acoustically sound because i'm training most of the time you know in my my normal work with my clients i am training and so therefore when my little dog downstairs in in a loft starts barking which you may hear this evening it's it's utterly impossible to to drown out that noise without creating another room in essence uh we actually actually talked about sealing off the whole loft so that i could have walls uh and you know it's just like all of these things that come up because your your office space you know it's 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 so important for you to be able to know what's going on in your kind of deck. Think of it as kind of a dashboard or a cockpit dashboard. You know, you want everything to be in view when you need it in view. You know, you don't want to not know the altitude that you're flying at when you look at the altitude, you know, meter. Um, uh, you know, like those are the kinds of things that I think about when I'm sitting at my desk and all of those pieces are so important. And uh, I'm, I'm, all of these, you know, you're talking about the the um, raising and lowering desk, you know, adjustable height desk. I'm thinking about, you know, what that would look like and having multiple desks so that I'm able to switch gears between training and teaching to when I just want to sit and write uh, because those two different modalities are very different for me and I want my desk organized differently for those things. And so, you know, just like building out the office desk is is has been a much bigger project than I actually thought it would be. And, uh, and before the pandemic and probably after the pandemic, I traveled quite a bit. So, you know, my time on the road was, uh, you know, learning how to be mobile, uh, where I truly enjoyed being fixed in my office, then being in a mobile environment and switching back and forth was great. Uh, now I really need to get this, uh, you know, set up in, in such a way that I, I, I like what it, what it um, can do for me in terms of space. There are two things that come to mind here. And then I and then I have a question. Uh, one is anyone who has not seen David Allen's video, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes, uh, where he shows himself uh, doing the clarifying organizing process in the GTD methodology. It's a really interesting video. That's uh, uh, did my video just freeze? Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. Yeah, that's right. That's really strange. Okay. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, I'm not quite sure what's going on on my system, but I will just keep talking and hopefully it will it will come back into into play. Um, and so, uh, so, so that video is really actually quite interesting. The second is there's a book called Work Clean by Dan Charnas. And uh, and that book is actually really, really fascinating uh, because he talks about this concept uh, known as mise en place. And if you don't know mise en place, uh, mise en place is uh, mostly related to the organizational systems that chefs use in the process of uh, – Sorry, I'm I'm trying to deal with whatever this uh, technology glitch is happening. Hopefully, you can still hear me. Just let me know if you if I stop being heard. Um, so anyway, uh, <laughs> the um, the the idea is is that mise en place is the way in which a chef or, or a cook organizes their space to be most productive. And it's so fascinating to me that Dan Charnas goes through that process of outlining for people if they want to create a productivity system how to actually do that and work clean is a fantastic and phenomenal book if you really want to understand those components so um so check that book out if you haven't my question to you all is if someone is uh feels the spirit is moved today to do something in the office desk organization space what's one thing that they can do to kind of like get organized today. And before we answer that question, I, I note that Art is asking, what if we really like paper? And uh, and the 
answer to that, Augusto put, is then you need to plan for space for paper, and the challenge is always to set the space for the needs and changing needs. So, Augusto, thank you for that answer for art. And uh, so, how do we help folks um, with just like some actionable thing they can do today to be more organized with regard to their office desk space? Yeah, I mean, I have something that I tell, this is maybe an out of left field uh, piece of advice, but something that I often tell people uh, in my productivity coaching business is that, um, so people are often feeling like, oh, in order to get organized, they have to organize it all, right? They got to set aside a lot of time to really get it right and make sure that they have space for everything, et cetera. I often will just tell people, like, if you just want to get focused and get organized, just swipe everything that is on the surface of your desk into a box and get focused right now so that you have a very clean surface. Maybe you have a beverage and a pencil and a piece of paper or a pad of paper or whatever in your computer, and then put it on your task list for later that you're going to go through that stuff, decide what you actually need, which usually is like 10% of the stuff that's on your desk, and then put away the other things. Because I think there's often this barrier this shows up around like photo organization and things like this as well, where it's like, I have to do it all at once. And I don't think you have to. I think you can just start with a clean slate and then go back. Yeah, and I think you make a, a great point. There are two two things with that, depending on the amount of stuff uh, or junk <laughs> okay, that you have, because a lot of people have both, is take it away and only bring what you want or what you need and set a time and be it's okay to say, you know what, for the next 30 days, I'm going to bring whatever it is. And after that, take the box off and put it to the goodwill attic or trash. It's fine. Uh, you most likely are not going to need anything else than, other than that. And But there are two things that are important to, to that. Before you go into buy, you know, more stuff. And I'm not saying don't buy or anything, but one of the things we tend to think is, oh, let me solve, you know, this problem. Is I always tell my clients, start for what is working. Make a list of what is working in your office because whatever you add, change, modify, or buy cannot disturb whatever is working. And we tend to think, oh, you know what? We need a new lamp. And now you get the new lamp and discover that, okay, but I now have two plugs only. So I need to unplug something else and I cannot afford to unplug. So now you have a beautiful lamp that you cannot use. So always start for what is working, what is working well, and then go into making sure that whatever change, addition, furniture, or anything that you're going to bring it's not going to disturb that. Yeah, I want to jump off of what art is. Uh, art is commenting about paper here. And I think there's an important distinction to make is when you're thinking about paper, it's do you like creating on paper or do you, you know, as one distinct question, and then secondarily, do you end up using that paper on an ongoing basis or is it just for the process of creation? And then it's, you're done with it and you kind of just want to store that. And it sounds like that's what Art was saying is that he creates on paper and then stores it digitally ultimately. Um, and I think <clears throat> if that's the, pro you know, I would guess that that would be m more the case than people who want to use the paper kind of after they've created on it. Uh, and as a result, I would say I would start by focusing on getting a system and process for moving things from paper to digital 
whether that's, you know, a traditional scanner or using, you know, one of the scanner apps that you can have on your, your smartphone. Um, and then having, you know, obviously a, a type of digital organization system where you're going to be filing and putting those things. Uh, but that way you have a seamless process for going from paper to digital so that you don't like throw that somewhere random and then like, oh, I don't know where that is. So I think focusing on that process and obviously if you need a scanner or something and you don't want to use your smartphone, then having that nearby so it's easy to use and you can just move it um, very seamlessly into that. I could not agree more <laughs> with that, Matt. I mean, I think, you know, I also, I'm holding up a notebook right now. I am a, a person that writes on paper, but then I need to get a digital. And I just have that as part of my like end of day wrapping up process that everything gets digital such that if this book were burned up at the end of the day, nothing would, it wouldn't matter. Right. And I've discovered a um, new tool recently that I know this is not that part of the, t- the show yet. And I actually have a different tool for that, but this is really on point here. Um, Google Keep allows you to take a photo of your handwritten notes and then click grab text and it creates a text file from your handwritten notes. So like that changed my world and changed this process from like, I don't know, 15 minutes a day to two minutes a day. And I have horrific handwriting. So it works really well, even if you don't have great handwriting. I always love when people talk great things of Google products. So <laughs> so that's always a good thing. Yeah, my handwriting seems to be like my language. You know, I cannot get Siri or the, mm-hmm. the big A or the Google things to understand me. And my handwriting works exactly the same way. <laughs> I don't know. Give Google Keep a try because like my handwriting is chicken scratch and it pulls at least 70% out. Yeah, I, 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 will, I will try. I will note a couple of things here. One is having a filing method is so important to the overall effectiveness of a, of a desk. And so whether or not you are doing that in a physical perspective or in a digital way, there's always going to be some level of paper that comes into your world and you need to figure out what you're going to do with it. So I, I ascribe to, unfortunately, a, a now um, deceased uh, expert's thought on the matter. And what he always said um, was it needed to be paperless. And the idea was, was that everything that was in paper should go digital, but not vice versa. For example, I'm not going to email you and then print out my email and file that in paper. I'm not going to print off everything that I own in digital, but what going to this kind of paperless environment means is that I can digitize everything and therefore have a single central source of truth for search. So it doesn't have to be the real thing that I can still file everything paper-wise, and it doesn't matter if I I keep the paper uh, in an organization system in the physical world. The digital part is how I find things. And so I've really held to that concept since really the the late 90s, and it's worked well for me uh, in the sense that uh, now today, Everything that comes into my world, I'm going to use, in my case, Evernote, to be able to just open up the camera and capture a picture of it. And that can be a birth certificate. It can be a, uh, you know, a, uh, an invitation to a wedding, to just a letter from a friend. Everything, holiday cards, you know, because I can never remember everybody's, uh, you know, updated addresses and so on and so forth. So when they send me the the envelope, I immediately cap- ca- capture a picture of it and that goes into my inbox. And now I'm capable of managing the data around what needs to happen while still keeping the physical. I might want to keep that that holiday card to put up on the wall, uh, but 
I now know how to track that I need to send that person a card because that card came in and no, they weren't on my original uh, you know, uh, list of folks to send. Um, I'm not naming names, but uh, <laughs> uh, but no, so, so that's one thing. Um, there's a couple of really great systems out there. The Freedom Filer system is both a physical system uh, management system, but you can also uh, replicate that in digital. There's the Noguchi method. Uh, the Noguchi filing method is, is really powerful for being able to turn your files into kind of, um, instead of trying to organize by by context, you're actually organizing by time uh, using um, using the Noguchi method. Uh, but there are many, many other filing systems and methods out there. And uh, of course, David Allen pro you know, promotes the ABC123 you know, method. Uh, there's all kinds of ways in which you can uh, file, but pick a filing method, and then you need to slowly but surely migrate everything to that system, both digital and in paper or analog, so that you're able to have a seamless understanding of what's happening. And then your desk paper stuff becomes that much more organized. And then I just would close out by saying, um, absolutely read Work Clean by Dan Charnas, because the whole concept of mise en place, having all of your tools within hand's reach, just like as you watch a chef you know, cooking, he has all of his tools or she has all of her tools in front of her and is able to seamlessly have the resources, the, the vegetables and fruits and whatever else available to them in hand's reach, as well as the tools and implements to be able to make that um, both, like it's kind of an artistic movement along with the actual production of something. And if you can if you can see yourself, visualize yourself performing in that same way, then you're going to be that much more productive. I don't ever want to have to reach for something and not actually have it within hand's reach. And that's very, very powerful when you can actually set up your system so that, you know what, I need my microphone and my uh, my mixer, you know, down here so that I can adjust levels and, and be able to access it in, in hand's reach. I do not need uh, my scissors on my desk. So that's put away, right? And it's always though in hand's reach. The the point is is that I'm using the the mixer, the the input, you know, device on my desk all day long. I'm not using the, the scissors all day long. So what are the things that need to be in view and in hand's reach and which things need to be out of view and out of hand's reach and start to make those kinds of, of calls. And then you start to have a more organized space because it's work, it's functioning for you. It's not about aesthetics for me. It's about, you know, and there's, there's a, a, a reason for, um, for beauty and for aesthetics. But for me, it's really about functional form. How is everything on my desk purposeful? If everything's purposeful, then that's an organized desk to me. Any final thoughts as we make our way to the end of our conversation about Office Desk Organization Day? <laughs> Uh, Linda's noting here uh, that uh, as a writer, she must edit on paper, and uh, and so it's super hard to interact with it on screen. And uh, absolutely, you have to understand your working modalities. And so if you need to have an analog system, I'm absolutely 100% behind you having a paper organization system so that you can you can do that. All right, wonderful. We have had our conversation about office desk organization, which then takes us on to our headlines in our segment, Stories of the Week. Let's get started with our Stories of the Week. Augusto, what's our first story this week? You are muted. First time of the show. Yes, and I keep the title of the first one who did this consistently. Um, so the We'll first... do this several times during the show, Alexis. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> the first story is, a, story is a cute story. It's a, a programmer whose wife is a teacher and noticed that the wife was struggling to show to their students, you know, the materials and the books and all this. So he created an application that can allow the teacher to connect their phone or the iPhone or the iPad to 
the camera so that way it can be used as an overhead camera for Zoom. So it is a really cool thing, actually. Uh, we share it with the school My Kids Go, and we send a, a device that allows to put the phone on the top for the teacher. So that way now as she's reading to the little ones, at least on the little ones, the little ones can see the book and the poor teacher is not trying to figure it out, how to do the kits and the camera and all that. So it's it's been a great, it's, it's a great thing, I think. It's a good story and something that it is interesting that 10 months of reading of the struggles of the schools and the Zoom and all this, no one has thought about this before this moment. So forgive me, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. So if you just share your screen in a Zoom call, you are then able to turn on your camera and get the same same. Yes, try to imagine being the teacher who has 12 or 14 kids on Zoom trying to tell them not to turn off the screen while you are putting the book like this and you try to read the same book at the same time. So this is just like for ease of, of getting to that point. Right. No, I totally love it. No, no, it is, enough, it is good. It is good, awesome. It is awesome. Feel good stories. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> especially ones that make us feel uh, not only feel better, but also make people more productive. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, that's a really great piece. And I'm I'm thinking about it for myself only because I'm I'm now having to show physical, you know, setups with clients, and so that's actually a really interesting uh, thing to be able to set it up. My my bigger issue is the getting the camera here you know like getting the camera above so that it can look down requires some kind of clamp or arm or something like that so. there is a clamp but we we send the teacher the teacher for for my kid a clamp uh so that the, she has the clamp towards the left so she can see it straight on the camera having the book in in her side given she has a massive desk space that she can do those things in my setup setting here will not work but but it but i thought it was a really cool thing because Again, it's a scene I have seen struggle, not for the oldest kid, but for the youngest, where the teachers still read a book in class, where they still share materials. And, you know, for me, being digital, I just add the iPad to the meeting and handwrite on the iPad and, and show things on the iPad with a pencil. But I understand if you are using paper materials and stuff like that, it's a struggle. How do you show it while you show in the camera? So fantastic. Basically, those uh, you know overheads and the transparencies from when we were kids just translated to a digital world, right? I was searching for that word "transparent" in there. Yeah, I was the king of transparencies. I would bring them to school, and uh, yeah, I was I was a bit of a geek. Uh, no, no, no question about that. Uh, artists saying use a lamp boom arm, uh, like for a microphone, and attach a camera holder mm -hmm. to it. That that is probably what I'll do. Art, I think that's the that's probably going to work. I'm I'm actually looking at a a new. Uh, kind of monitor mount uh, for the new desk, and that will allow me to clamp multiple arms to it. So I'll be able to clamp, you know, six or seven items to the one arm, and that way everything will be actually off the desk. Uh, and, and that way when I ra raise the desk or lower it, uh, it will just all raise and lower with me. And that's really the the ultimate goal for me is to not be limited in uh, the, the standing or seated modality. I don't like sitting all day. Uh, and so it's nice to be able to stand up and, and do that. And I, I know that uh, several colleagues of mine over the years have had like, you know, treadmills installed under their desks. And uh, my mother has one of those seated, uh, you know, bicycle things under her desk. And I just can't, I can't ride a bike and, and talk at the same time. <laughs> 
uh, I can I can do all kinds of things like chewing gum and driving, but uh, but bicycling while while talking, I just no, it's too much. Uh, so I, I I would just like to be able to stand. That's the best I've got. So Augusto, well, next story. Our next story is in in December. YouTube was surveying their premium members about their favorite subscription features. So hopefully that's going to bring a change. One of the I'm not a premium member, but I hope that they stop asking me if I want to subscribe after a certain number of no's. Okay, I tell yeah. people when I do sales coaching, that is one of the best consistency, you know, sales tactics. Is And it's like, you know, and they change the worries they know. So you need to read, otherwise they use the window and you need to cancel. So I hope that one of the things that the premium member said is, yeah, after 1,000 no's, please stop asking. That's all that I wanted to to happen. (laughs) Well, uh, so so folks uh, know this story is actually useful from a productivity perspective. Because because the reason why I, I subscribe to YouTube Premium is because it removes the ads on YouTube. Uh, so that's one thing that has saved me countless hours of dealing with YouTube ads. And uh, I'm not against ads. I actually think they're great. But also, I think that being able to pay the the creators on YouTube, they do get paid when you use YouTube Premium. So there's no loss there. Uh, but they're getting remunerated. I am saving time and everybody wins. Second is YouTube Premium allows you to be able to download videos on mobile devices. So when I go on vacation, I will again. <laughs> so help me, I will be going on vacation this year at some point, uh, and uh, you know I will get those two vaccines in my arm, and I will be going on vacation. Uh, and uh, in that process, though, I like to be able to have everything that I want entertainment-wise available to me on my mobile devices because if we're traveling overseas or if we're on a cruise or something like that, we don't have access to the internet the same way we do when we're home. And it just really gives us that capability. And so I can go ahead and just download countless uh, you know, YouTube videos that I have on my watch later list and go on vacation and either sit on the beach or sit on the, the deck of the cruise ship or you know sit on the plane. And I've got entertainment for days. And that by itself is so worth the, the cost of YouTube premium. I love it. Uh, there is a family option, which does bring that price lower. You know, if you pay for, the, I think, the five folks, then you get the app option for being in it. But I've just, I found it to be so, so great so that I don't get interrupted while I'm watching a video and I have to kind of re-cha- rechange my gears because I've just watched an ad and I thought it was interesting. So I clicked on it and I've gone off to look at that ad. Uh, and then I come back and I'm like, what was I watching? Right. All those things happen. And so it's been really, really useful for those things. Not that this is an ad for YouTube premium, but, you know, I really do like it for the productivity benefits. All right. Augusto, next up. The next up is an article from uh, Trello, and it's six ways to use Trello for effective sales management and self-management. What I said? No, you you said it. I'm just clarifying for everybody because of your accent. It's self-management. Yep. <laughs> I I have said for many years that after 3 p.m., my English to Spanish ratio start going down, and it's worse English every time. So I apologize. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. And, and if you ask Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks and Ray for the productivity cast, that's not necessarily back up at seven in the morning. But hey, who is counting? <laughs> so. Going back to, they talk about what if self-management, uh, what techniques you can use. You know, they talk about the GTD. They talk about the 
Eisenhower matrix that we have talked that is not the Eisenhower matrix many times in here, but also Merrill Covey matrix. It's the Merrill Covey matrix. <laughs> I will call it the Eisenhower matrix just because I know it gets on your nerves. But um, it doesn't. It doesn't. Actually, the the uh, the little corgi that is our mascot for Personal true. Productivity Club. His name is Eisenhower. I love President Eisenhower. Eisenhower. It's just that we should give due credit to the researchers behind it, and Rebecca Merrill, Roger Merrill, and Stephen Covey deserve the credit for the Merrill. Covey matrix. No said. Off my soapbox. <laughs> so, um, so they they show they show people you know how you can create labels and use the labels to prioritize stuff. How you can create more advanced checklists and how to use Butler. That is, if you don't know Butler on Trello, Butler is incredible and you can use it to create buttons, rules, notifications, repeat text and everything else and how to create custom fields. That said, and as much as I love Trello and use Trello every day, I don't see Trello as my self-management tool. Um, but that said, the article, it's pretty good. So, but, but let me ask the question. When do you think we have three Experts in productivity. We have Art in the Art there, um, Linda in the pub in, in the chat. What is your self management and what tool when you think on effective self management you you prefer? Yeah, I mean, self management is such a large, <laughs> you know, thing here. I think it's it's really hard to say. Oh, there's one tool that I use for self management, right? I mean, when I look at that article, right, I'm thinking about how do we how do we get things done. How do we create the processes and the systems that underlie the things that we do so that we don't have to rely on willpower as much, et cetera? And so I think like whatever task system you're using, you can leverage to be a self-management tool, whether it's Trello or something else, you know, um, and I'm sure there are other like habit trackers that people could use to help themselves with self-management, right? Like setting up your office and your desk in the way, like in the mise en place sort of way that we're talking about, that is a self-management tool. So I would just say, I don't think there's like one silver bullet. I wish there was though. I have to. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I keep trying to move towards that. Uh, right now, what I've been using, I know we talked about this on past shows is uh, ClickUp. And the, the one thing that, I've recently been doing there is so ClickUp is, you know, has your traditional to do list functionality. But what I like about it is that it also has goals with targets under it and you can add tasks, you know, automatically to your goals. And so you can, but you can also set goals that aren't related to your tasks. So like, you know, a health related thing. And also um, in your, you can create documents that link tasks to you know, that add tasks in the context of the document and it all shows up on your task list then. So I do like the idea that of kind of you from a task management system, you can approach it from many different angles and still view it from different ways. And I would say that the thing that it's missing for me is the idea of, you know, especially from a self-management perspective is pulling in automated data. I like pulling in a lot of health data that's automated, you know, from Apple Watch, from my phone. And right now that's, as far as I know, is completely disconnected and I'm not sure there's a way to do that. So that would be the piece that I would want to see is like where you could actually pull in data from a lot of other places and have it connected to your task management system as well. We are going to have an episode on that. And then you and I are going to have to have a conversation because, whoa, that's, that's like down a rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I agree with you, Matt, there, because like I do, you know, I don't use ClickUp. I've tried it. I've probably tried 50 different task management systems. I use Podio for the exact same reasons that you mentioned, because it's basically a set of relational databases. So I have built, so my task list connects to the goals, connects to the CRM, connects to um, a billing, you know, thing in there as well. And so like, I agree with you. I'm trying to make it all one. All my notes are in there too, but you run into these little, little like side cases, edge cases, right? Where like it just can't all be one yet. But yeah, I, I hear you there. So Art is asking the question, do card-based systems really work well for individuals? And uh, since we were talking about Trello, uh, I'll, I'll just say from my perspective, yes, I, I absolutely believe that there are people who have implemented uh, getting things done, have implemented uh, many different systems, uh, even the Eisenhower method, which there's actually a a power-up inside of Trello that actually does that and kind of creates the interface so that you have this Merrill Covey matrix, uh, you know, influenced uh, view inside of the uh, inside of Trello. So I think absolutely. And uh, Linda's noting here that Trello is uh, what she's mostly using for visual uh, organization. So that's that's really great. Um, I will I will note here that self-management is a Peter Drucker concept. Uh, you know that that idea that knowledge workers uh, are given a kind of a blank slate in which to operate and we need to create structure in order to be more productive. And while maybe some of you who are a little bit more creative, uh, creatively inspired uh, might might want to reject that notion of structure, just remember uh, you have gravity. Uh, gravity's not going anywhere. You can't see it. That is structure. Uh, so we all experience structure in our worlds. The amount of structure you need is dependent upon the motivational factors, the friction that you need to create in order to be able to move forward, right? We need certain amounts of friction for wheels to, to grip the ground on earth for it to be able to move. If you had no friction, uh, you would float off into space and die. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so let's remember that we need structure. Uh, but how much structure is different between individuals? I might need a little bit more structure, maybe a lot more structure, and others might need much less. So we need to figure out what the right amount is for us, and then self-management becomes something uh, quite easy. Uh, the, the, the problem is, is People tend to think about this from a discipline perspective. I was actually talking to a client today about that. The reality is, is that this is not about discipline. Discipline uh, implies you are faulty. And discipline implies that you have something wrong with you to begin with, and you don't. Um, the problem is that you have a systems problem. There is a system involved, um, and you need to figure out what the uh, right approach to managing that system is. There's probably some widget along the way, some gear that needs to be fixed so that you can have the proper uh, functioning of your overall systems because you have many different systems that run in your life. So think about it from a systems problem or a systems design problem, and that challenge can be overcome. Uh, don't think about this from a discipline program uh, perspective, because ultimately what you do is you say, I'm wrong, I'm bad, I don't know what I'm doing, and um, that's self-defeating, and we don't want that. We want you to be able to stay on the productive side and the positive side of what fulfills you. And if you can understand that from a systems perspective, then this all becomes uh, a really easy self-management uh, exercise. So. Let's uh, go I, ahead and go ahead, Matt. Yeah, just one comment. I would say, from at least how I approach it, a little bit of a different uh, perspective on the discipline, which I think if we think about it as discipline as like a character of, you know, virtue that you either have or you don't have, then it does exactly what you're talking about, Ray. And you feel like anytime there's a lapse in your ability to fulfill what you said you were going to do, you feel bad and you feel like you're lacking on character in some way. 
But if you treat it more as a, a energy source that can be depleted and, and replenished, and you have to design your systems in such a way that account for, you know, energy depletion and energy refueling, then I think that can be a complementary, you know, way of perspective that actually adds to your system design versus kind of saying, let's not account for that in any way. And I'm not saying that's what you're saying, but just, I think we want to bring that perspective in and say, okay, we need to design our systems in a way that account for the fact that our energy and internal resources change and deplete over the course of a day, a week, et cetera. Yeah. And I would just call that willpower, I suppose. I'm not quite sure I would call it discipline. You know, discipline is a, a set of rules that we follow. And when we don't follow those rules, we are punished by by not following the rules. Uh, and there is a little bit slight to what you're talking about, which is most people think of discipline being uh, that which is uh, uh, moralistic. There's a, you know, it's kind mm-hmm. of like, um, almost like how people apply uh, moralism to uh, to income levels or those kinds of things. They're, 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 um, they're values associated with something that I don't particularly uh, need to have associated with them and so i try to kind of parse those but i definitely hear what you're saying i think in a system you need to be mindful of uh energy performance uh, energy and performance management within that system and those are definitely important alexis did you have something you want to say well i just kind of just going right back to the do card based systems work for people Mm -hmm. right i think like you're right yes they can but they don't work for everybody uh, I think that, you know, we're coming back to like, we need to find the system that works for who we are, for our brains. That's why I love, you know, like Asana, Podio, Reich, they all have the ability to view your tasks through either a table or a card based system, Kanban systems. Like, I love that more and more, I mean, TikTok does the same, that more and more task apps are recognizing the fact that like, no, we don't all think in cards. We don't all think in the same way. And so having multiple modalities to be able to view that, and looking at whatever task app you're using and say, okay, which of these methods of viewing are going to work best with my brain? Yeah. And hat tip to Amazing Marvin, because they were really, the, when they started that whole strategies perspective, uh, Christina Wilner and her team over there really kind of led the charge with being able to have these different kind of skins on, on top of the same data. And now we see a lot more task management applications doing that and project management applications doing that. And that is absolutely the way to go. Yeah, Art mentioned Todoist and Notions do cards as well as list, and it's been really nice to jump back and forward. And and I agree. I don't. I'm not a card guy, even though I use Trello heavily for certain things. But there are certain things that the cards works incredibly well. And Todoist allows you to look that same thing for list or cards, so you can go cards, sort it, move it when you need to move it, and then go back to list that is a view that worked for my brain. So that is. Fantastic. I, I, I will say that the idea of what, what you're talking about, both of you are talking about, is really quite interesting to me because I like to see certain projects as cards in, in a board-based perspective, and I like to see certain uh, tasks and projects in a list-based perspective. My typical uh, view preference is lists. Uh, that's why I've been using Remember the Milk for 12 going on uh, you know, more than that. Uh, I just like that concept of not having the frills uh, distract me from the fact that I have one thing to do, and when I click on that task, it brings that singular task into view, and everything else disappears in Remember the Milk. And I like that ability to say, I'm working on this right now, and until I stop working on this, I shouldn't see anything else. And that's very, very powerful to me. But there are certain projects where I'm going to be working on a whole bunch of things, and I need those not necessarily disparate pieces, they're collected pieces together in view for me to be able to make forward 
uh, progress on it. And that's really important to understand. Again, going back to your point, Alexis, we are all unique. Uh, you know, we are, um, you know, we're, we're interesting, uh, you know, projects uh, <laughs> in the sense that we have to find the right pieces of the puzzle to really make uh, the, the landscape uh, come into view. And if we can understand how to do those pieces, maybe you don't need visuals at all. And you can just go with a piece of paper and a pen and make a list and make it happen each day. Uh, for those for the rest of us, uh, we need to kind of test and experiment. Uh, really, that's the, the productivity scientist in us. We need to do that experimentation to be able to figure out what's the right working modality for the right types of projects that we're doing in this point in our life. And it will change. I, I was in a completely different industry, uh, you know, uh, 12 years ago. I was a completely different industry a decade before that, right? You know, the, the, the notion that you are going to be working in the same type of work your entire life is now changed. You know, I thought I would sit in the at that time the law firm that i worked for i thought i would die in that chair um it's actually the chair i am sitting in right now i bought this chair and i was like this is the most money i'm ever going to spend on a on a chair in my life because i'm going to die in it and uh <laughs> and i'm going to die doing this work and uh you know i was completely wrong i it turns out that you know life was just much more interesting and uh and it threw all of these curveballs all positive and uh that means we need to be uh flexible and dynamic about the systems we're setting into place so they're both um, not fragile, uh, but also, uh, you know, really resilient um, in the face of all of the changes that we're making in life um, and work. So next story, Augusto, what's our next story this week? So our next story next week is on Google Messages, and they are getting reactions. You know, they when iMessage got reactions, it is really fun. I mean, if you have an iPhone, it is really fun. You get the message. You can react to that thing. Finally, Google on the web, it's getting the same kind of reactions. I'm not familiar if I, mean, I don't have an Android device, so I'm not familiar if before you could do it or you can do it in regular text message among Android users. You can do it between iMessage people, and it it's really cool. So now the web for Google Messages will have these reactions too. Yeah, so you've had that in the in the application uh, inside the mobile applications for some time. They're bringing that to the web interface. Since mm -hmm. unlike uh, Apple, where you have uh, iMessages, iMessages gives you an application on your desktop. There's no application on your desktop currently. It's a PWA, so it is an application, but it's really just a progressive web application. Uh, but I I have Google Messages web open as an app on my desktop i'm capable of using it it must be tied to my phone though so my phone has to be on the network and connected uh, so you do have that capability if you didn't know to use google messages from your android devices on your desktop uh, the flip side to that though is now you're able to do those reactions right now on only on mobile you're able to long press on a on a message and then thumbs up cry, whatever it is that they, uh, whatever it is that the kids are doing uh, on their messages. Uh, but it's a nice way to just give people a reaction. I don't know what that's going to look like on the Apple side. I mean, currently today, when uh, a an Apple user, you know, like you and I, if you were to send me a, a text message, uh, you would, I would see uh, liked or loved or you know, laughed at, you know, as in, in right. quotations of the whole entire message back to me. I'm not quite sure what's going to happen on the on the inverse side of that when an Android user does that to someone who is in uh, the Apple ecosystem. So that's to be determined. I haven't quite figured that out yet. Yes, Art is saying we can all use Telegram and that will not be an issue, but it's not true. Telegram yet doesn't have the in-message reactions. 
But and I would say even more than everything. well, even more than being cool, Augusta, with having the you know the reactions is I see it as a an efficiency thing because rather than having to type in like okay yes whatever you know now I can just click on that do thumbs up and it's much faster so um, I think it actually helps our productivity as well. I'll also just chime in with not having any messaging apps on your desktop really helps with productivity also. <laughs> Yeah, actually. Oh, so so like on that point, I've actually created a new desktop, a virtual desktop. I'm I'm into the virtual desktops. Um, Art knows that he like changed my world the other day because he. Uh, I, I'm I'm a huge fan of obviously a keyboard centric productivity environment. I just operate almost exclusively off of my keyboard uh, throughout my day. And so um, if it doesn't have a keyboard shortcut, it hurts. It like it like. Um, it hurts my core, uh, like, <laughs> and so uh, so he had he had found out, uh, and you're uh, and and I'm I, I'm using a different keyboard. So Art, if you could post in the in the chat the actual keyboard functions you're using on your standard Windows keyboard. But in essence, if you hold down Control Windows and tap left or right arrow keys, you can switch between the various virtual desktops on the Microsoft environment. And so now you can have four or five of those virtual desktops, and just it just like hands across to the other desktops. So I created a messaging uh, desktop. And uh, and so I just put all of the messaging apps in that messaging desktop along with my email application and everything else. So it's all now they're under messages. I have a planning desktop. I've, oh, I just, I've just been having such a great time because now before it was like, oh, I have to go and you know go up con Windows, Control, Left, and right arrow keys. So hold down Windows, Control, and then left or right arrow. Do not do not hold down. I think what was I doing before? I was holding on like Shift or and Alt, and that actually rotates your screen, which is very <laughs> disturbing. <laughs> so yes. Windows uh, Control Left or Right arrow keys, and it just pans beautifully, beautifully from one virtual desktop to another. And so you can now have these really these contexts in which you're working. And so when you know you do your all of your bookkeeping, you put all, all of your bookkeeping bookkeeping and invoicing stuff on one desktop. You put all of your messaging stuff on and you can you can have a personal desktop where you have your uh, personal I've done this. I have a personal browser, uh, thanks to Augusto, like 20 years ago uh, <laughs> when he told me to have a personal browser. And so Firefox is my personal browser. I put that there. I use Chrome for everything else. And now it's sitting in my personal desktop. And when I want to go check my personal email and do all those types of things, I just switch gears. And it's so seamless. It's so wonderful. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just loving it. And thank you, Art. All right. Next story. The next story is all on you because I don't use Google Assistant or Google Home. But there is a bunch of new features that come with both that were launched in uh, 2020, at the end of 2020, and 9 to 5 covered. But I'm going to let you cover more of the details of those because, again, I am an iOS house in here. Well, no, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spend uh, the next hour describing all of the various Google Assistant features that came in 2020. Uh, but I will say that we have had a a huge huge host of new features that have come to uh, the system, uh, including the hand washing song for kids, and uh, the you know, Apple also had one of those as well um, on on the um, Apple. 
big S uh, platform world. And so we've had a, a lot of really great home-based features that have been prompted by the pandemic, uh, but we also have a lot more connected to the smart home devices. And so when you want to use big A uh, with regard to it, we also have more and more features being baked into the mobile interface. You're actually capable of using the assistant now uh, directly within the mobile application environment. So you can trigger uh, big A and have it do certain things that it couldn't do before. So if you have not been playing around with the Google Assistant, I highly recommend that you actually go into your settings and look at the assistant and see what your device, and it's really device dependent on what your device can do today. Um, if you're using one of the latest Google Pixel line phones, you're able to have it call and make appointments for you uh, with various businesses. Uh, you're able to do all kinds of really fun and unique things, but it really depends upon the model that you have. And of course, we have greater and greater features being added within Google Workspace tied to the Google Assistant now as well. So they're getting kind of parity. Uh, the paid platform uh, for, for really businesses is now being given a lot of those uh, functionalities as well. So it's just great across the board. And with that, uh, next story, Augusto. Our next story. <laughs> almost said it. I almost said it. Uh, Our next story is uh, from the views from Zoom and then talking about Zoom fatigue. And I'm going to, you know, and, and what is the issue with the Zoom and what is the issue with this fatigue and and what is people experiencing? I, I'm lucky. I don't feel that Zoom fatigue. I've been watching at this screen for longer than what I want to admit. And, and as we were discussing early in the show, I, I'm fine continuing my screen for, for, for the time to be and forever and ever. So I don't have that feeling of fatigue. That said, there is a lot of people who are soft, who are experiencing that. So, but instead of me saying what I think about it for not knowing, I want to get Matt or Alexis. I know Matt had an article in Savannah about that point specifically. So I'm going to pass the, the answer to or the comment to that article to, to Matt. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting. I would put myself in a similar bucket to you, Augusto, and that I've been doing it for a while and it doesn't seem to have a significant effect on me. But uh, what's interesting, as you think about the difference between a Zoom call and an in-person meeting is uh, what, you know, and I think it was some researchers from Stanford that talked about this is what they call constant eye gaze, which is when you're in a Zoom meeting, you're constantly looking at other people's heads and they're making eye-to-eye -eye contact versus if I'm in a meeting, I can only look and it's a round or oval or square, you know, rectangular table. I can't be looking at everyone at the same time. And so the idea that you're kind of constantly making eye contact and also um, <clears throat> being able to see and be seen by everyone at the same time uh they suggest that that can have a exhausting effect on people. And, you know, I think what's interesting is the default has been to move to do everything over video technology. And, you know, the assumption is that, oh, well, that will be much more effective because you're, you know, a lot of communication is nonverbal. And as a result, you would think that you'd be able to understand things better if you're interacting in a video context. Uh, where actually, you know, there's some interesting research. Um, I talked about this in a recent Science of Productivity segment that shows that actually the opposite is true, that audio only, um, people are actually able to pick up on emotions more accurately. 
Uh, and, you know, part of that is because actually more information, like we've been talking about with clutter and back to desk organization, uh, more information actually makes it harder to focus on the most salient and important pieces of a conversation. So just an encouragement to people that even, you know, if you're feeling that, that you don't have to feel like, oh, I'm sacrificing effectiveness in, by turning off my video and jumping on an audio call or, you know, going on a, doing a phone call um, and, and walking around. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree with, well, I think I was about to say, I agree with everything you said. I think I do agree with everything you said, although that's, uh, it's new to me about um, how audio is, you're actually able to pick up on those emotions better. But I think, you know, when it comes to Zoom, Zoom fatigue, one of the things that I think we're not talking about that we should be is that I don't think it's just about being on video. I think it's, I think it's over schedule fatigue because what we know from what's happened during this period of COVID is people are just having more meetings. Whereas we used to stop by somebody's desk and grab them for five minutes. Now we schedule a half an hour meeting and then Parkinson's law comes into place and then we talk for half an hour. And so there was that NYU and Harvard study that came out uh, a couple of months ago that was showing that we actually are in like 13% more meetings now or something like that during this period of time. Maybe I have those numbers wrong. But I think that one of the things that we can do to get out of Zoom fatigue is just to pick up the phone more often and to like not feel like the phone is a scary thing that we have to be afraid of because nobody uses it for voice calls anymore. Um, and just kind of renormalize how do we have spontaneous conversations in a remote environment. I think that's one of the biggest factors going on here. And I think that younger people are going to culturally see this differently. Uh, you know, I, I've constantly had this argument uh, with people who say, oh, well, our attention spans are shrinking and therefore somehow we're going to, uh, you know, devolve into creatures that are just, you know, blobs always looking at, at in different directions because we don't know how to uh, focus. Uh, no, the brain just trains uh, to the things that it is naturally experiencing. And so the reality is that children uh, ultimately need to be taught focusing skills. They need to be taught to be mindful. Uh, they also need to, taught, need to be taught how to socialize in a hybrid digital world. That is, when you are in an environment with humans, uh, your phone in your face is both rude, but it's also, uh, it also diminishes the experience. And, and so we need to really teach young people this reality because then ultimately uh, you have children who are young people who then grow up into, into full adulthood who then don't necessarily experience the same rich one-to-one -one and group-based uh, experiences that we know because, well, at least I'm old enough to remember when there weren't smartphones. And uh, <laughs> and in those times, um, I, had a, I, had a, I had a great social life. Now I have a great social life too. It just happens to be a little bit more digital. We'll go back to the normal world and it will still be the same. Uh, do digital devices not facilitate that experience? Of course, but there's no question that I know how to make eye contact with both the camera and you, um, and I know how to use the technology for the right reasons, right? Picking up the phone and making a phone call, as Alexis was noting, is important and imperative for certain types of communications, and having a video meeting is also really important and powerful for certain types of communications. Uh, you need to know how to mediate those, and, uh, and we need to teach children how to do that, and I think it's so, so important that we not just think about how we 
are ad adapting to all of this, but really how we're training uh, the next generation uh, to grow up with this technology because this is all nascent. We're all new to the internet. You know, we think, oh, well, the internet's 20 something years old and please, in the, in the span of 10,000 years of hunter-gatherer to today, it's a blip in time comparative to the length of the universe's existence. And um, so we've had the internet for like, oh, that much of time. And we don't yet know its capabilities, uh, but we do need to remember that there's a human on the other uh, other side of all of our communications digitally. Um, if you understand there's a heart and mind on the other side, then you're much better off being able to understand how to interact and engage in the real world as well as here in a digital experience. I know you're watching. I know you're on the other end, and I know you're a human being. And I'm not speaking to Google or the bots or anything else like that. I'm speaking to another human being. And that allows me to be able to just be me in a normal capacity. Uh, and if we, if we train young people, honestly, train adults too, because some people need some social skills, uh, but train young people specifically, that's what I care most about, is the next generation to be able to utilize the digital experience in that much more, um, the, the way in which we really hope a, a fruitful, um, productive society is going to be. You know, not only that, also, it is important to to get the, the positive and the silver lining of this. You know, we we have said my in-laws live far away, uh, far enough, the to to work meeting with them it's really complicated but now we are getting these consistent dinners on Saturdays that has been honestly incredibly incredible for for the kids and for and for my wife to see his parents and all this but not only that i mean we have our best friends we still playing board games we moved from indiana to new jersey in beginning of february and well, that break, that possibility to play in the same room. But we have been playing over Zoom all over this, and we may not meet every day or every week, but we play and play the games and do the same fun. So also don't look at the all the negative of the Zoom and all the thing, things. It is important to look at both sides of this. And the I used to say, you know, when I – like many people who under, may kind of understand technology, you are the first call on your family, okay, who get the call. How can I, my machine, do this? Okay, and you need to remember the specs of those machines multiply from each member of your family and the different device they have. That used to be a nightmare. Now you can tell them, including my in-laws and my parents, go to Zoom. And I will see your desktop. And it is a breeze to do support anymore because when your father told you, my Windows machine do not have start, you can tell them left corner, I'm reading it on the screen. And it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think obviously there's, you know, tons of benefits here. The one thing that seems problematic is where we make, we've, I think this is true that a lot of us have developed this in, compulsion where we feel like we have to do video now. And so even I, I think of a few nights ago, I was texting my mom back and forth and we're like, let's just do a quick call. And rather than just calling her, which was, you know, it was like 10 o'clock at night or something and doing, you know, doing that was like, well, should we do FaceTime? And like, there was like back and forth over like whether we should use video or not. And I think giving people permission to say, you don't have to do a video call if it, you know, if you don't want to, if it doesn't make sense, if you're, just got back from a run or whatever the reason is like, and I think if people have permission to that, that they would make better decisions about it. But now I think there's a culture has been created where we're like, Oh, just do video calls. And that's not always necessary. 
I mean, I think with everything, right, we want to examine the defaults. And I think that's exactly like, it's like, there's been a new default in the last 10 months. And I think what you're saying is we need to say like, does that make sense or not? Just like we need to say that, you know, with our technology, it's funny where you're talking about like, we need to teach kids this and that. And, you know, there are some things I agree with you to a certain extent about that. Um, Like my children do not actually know how to use a phone. I realized recently when I was holding a phone up to my ear like this and my kids said, why is it next to your ear that they did not understand how you actually use a phone. So there's that. But also I think that there's, you know, we as, let's just say, middle-aged people um, may not, like, we are not the digital natives. And so I actually think that we have a lot to learn from kids and how they are, you know, doing things instead of just kind of assuming that they need to be brought into our world in the way that we think that technology should be. I actually really think that, you know, for kids... We say real world. We have to be in the real world versus the digital world. There is no difference for them. Like it's just the world. And we really kind of alienate ourselves from them when we talk about these things because they don't understand what we're talking about. They're like, they've never known a world without this stuff. So like the real, the this concept of the real world doesn't make sense. They still need to learn how to interact with humans. <laughs> But it may be in a, a different way, I think. And I think that we probably, you know, I don't know, maybe we could be a little bit more, I, at least I can be a little bit more humble. I know I'm totally guilty of being like, get out into the real world and go outside and play. Um, but it's not it's not always the most fruitful thing. No, but also, you know, we think on this fatigue, and I have read a lot about the kids and the fatigue, and we have give, we have done, especially during all this COVID thing, uh, give access to to my to both the kids, but to both of our kids access to the the Google Meet. So my son have a play date, okay, and they play Roblox and they play Among Us and whatever they play, okay. But they also have the other device with the camera and they play and they laugh and they joke. So as much as I agree with you that we think there are two differences for them. There is no difference. We see each other in the camera and we play and they fight like they were together, you know, and they come and you say, why, you know, you get the notifications and suddenly, you know, your son blocked his best friend and you're like, why do you block your friend? I'm mad at him. And you're like, but you have not seen each other. And yes, for them, there is no difference at all. So I'll I'll say this, which is that I, I don't, I fully agree with you, Alexis. I think that we need to learn from children as much as we need to teach them. But um, and and I'm and I'm I'm by no means uh, disrespecting children. I think that uh, what we do as adults is we tend to. Uh, uh, restrict their capabilities. Uh, you know, as Dr. Stephen Covey always said, you know, we're all born geniuses and slowly but surely society and adults de-geniusize our children. And uh, and so, you know, seeing children innovate with technology is absolutely important and imperative. And, and that's why I continue to, to ride that uh, soapbox of saying that we are in our infancy. We are also children with technology and we need to be humble and open to the use of that technology in that space. And so I really appreciate that, that thought because, uh, you know, you're absolutely right. We need to be, we need to be mindful of of our own limitations with technology and there's so much more to learn about how to use um this it's you know uh, miraculous not because we don't understand it uh but it's miraculous because we haven't quite understood its potential yet and uh and i think that's really um the part where science has uh and technology has brought us this far and now we need to use our creative and artistic capabilities uh ones that um are go beyond mine uh <laughs> we need we need a greater capacity than than i have in that regard and we can really do so much more with technology and really truly have the foundations of greater global culture uh, by doing so. 
Yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, we've got our last story this week before we hit our midpoint. Uh, and so, Augusto, what's our uh, our uh, our next story of the week before we hit the break? You are muted. Gotcha. Um, our next story promotes how uh, or talks about how hobbies promote personal growth and how they enrich uh, our life. And when this article came to our hands, I read the title and then you know, kind of brush it off. But as I look to to the agenda for, for this episode and get back to it, I, I thought a little bit more deep on what are those hobbies and how those hobbies has changed, you know, from where we used to use do maybe 10, 15 years ago to what we are doing, even what what are the hobbies that some of us has been able to to have during this pandemic month. And what I enjoyed the most about it was looking into thinking not only how they grow, but how they help you to develop that thinking and to pass some of those things to to the kids, you know. And and so it was a really interesting read. I advise, I, I recommend everybody who who get the note, the notes and the shows to to read it and think about what are those hobbies that they have or they stop having. Because are you stop having hobbies for whatever reason? And if you did, why? Yeah, one one thing that I always try to explain to people is that when you are trying to you're you're interested in personal development if you are watching and listening to this show. So it's not like you don't know that you're aware of your des- desire to grow in some capacity and um, and to stay sharp uh, in your game of life. And the the reality is is that. Uh, many times the best ideas I have come from either interdisciplinary or uh, multi-field, uh, you know, uh, views of the world, right? It's that I can pull things from, uh, it turns out that, you know, all of my hobbies in life are geeky uh, <laughs> from, you know, uh, modding out my Raspberry Pi to, you know, doing all kinds of things in the space of personal productivity and, and so on and so forth. Um, that happens to be both my passion and also my work. And so I, I love doing all of those things. But you would be surprised that I will get from uh, the world of fitness uh, something that will intrigue me and say, oh, you know what, this can actually work in my work work world. And uh, or, you know what, I just had this really interesting conversation about Seneca and stoicism with uh, a friend of mine. And um, that's something that he and I dialogue with. He's a he's a third order Dominican uh, priest. And uh, and so I get to have that kind of of dialogue with him and uh, talking to him about where and how his religious beliefs and his spiritual views uh, impact his life and overlap with um, this, you know, philosophy of stoicism. And that will uh, pique something in my mind and say, oh, you know what, I should use this over there in this world. Uh, so there's so many ways in which you can actually kind of peel away the onion layers of of life and be uh, inspired uh, to do those things. It could be as simple as, you know what, I saw, uh, you know, I was organizing my uh, pantry and I could organize my pantry the same way I can organize my files on my desk. You know, it could be as simple as that and you can be more productive by doing so. Uh, but having these kinds of, call, call them hobbies, I, I consider them extracurriculars. Uh, you know, whatever those extracurriculars are, they really help to um, kind of enlighten you to different worldviews. And the more we see how other cultures and how other people and other, um, you know, uh, other activities uh, blend into our lives, uh, the more likely we are to have unique, novel thoughts and ideas about how to make our lives better. And so I really love um, everything um, this article kind of um, at least represents. Any other thoughts? 
Alexis, go for it. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I feel the same way. Like I have my best blog post ideas when I'm running, right? <laughs> like, exactly. And like speak into my phone on my arm to like make sure that I don't forget it. Um, but I think it, the one thing is, I think when we're engaged in a hobby, um, that is when we can, or for most people, when we can get into flow state the quickest, right? And so we're in that. And I think that a lot of times when you're kind of in a flow state, especially when you're doing some, like a lot of hobbies are manual, right? Like we're doing something with our hands, or you know, we're cooking, we're knitting, we're, you know, like fixing a bike or whatever it is. Um, that allows our minds to kind of be doing deep problem thinking in the background, right? And so I think that that's, at least that's where I think some of those kind of cross-functional ideas come from, right? Is that we are, we're doing something else and we're just kind of ruminating in the background, even though we don't know it. Uh, around things that are really helping us there. And, you know, I, I'm the same as you. It's like anytime I'm reading a book, I end up with a list of notes about things that can affect, you know, all these other things, even when it was just like a novel that I was reading, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. This has been wonderful. Um, we are going to come back after the break and talk about the rest of our stories this week. We have even more fun stories to discuss on the flip side. And uh, we're going to be talking about our new tools of the week. We are going to have uh, Matt Plummer's uh, Science of Productivity segment. And then we are going to uh, close out the discussion with our story of the week. And we're going to be talking about Asana. So with that, uh, hang tight and we'll be back with you after the break. Did you know half of small businesses don't have websites? And half don't make it past one year in business? Are these stats correlated? We're not sure, but we think you should have a website. W3C Web Services provides affordable managed WordPress website hosting, along with VPS, domain name registration, and other small business-focused services. For listeners of this podcast, you can book a free 30-minute digital marketing strategy session when you purchase a new hosting plan. $150 value. Once you purchase your new hosting plan, forward the receipt to support at w3cinc.com with the podcast title in the subject line of the email message, and we'll get you scheduled for your digital marketing strategy session. Head over to anythingbutidle.com slash web hosting and get started with your small business website today. And now, back to your show. Welcome back, everybody, to Anything But Idle, episode 38. And before the break, uh, we were discussing all kinds of fun things about hobbies and uh, other interesting pieces of the productivity news this week. Uh, we have more news to cover, though. And so, Augusto, what is our next story this week? So our next article comes from Fast Company, and it's called Six Unconventional Productivity Tips to Calm and Be Focused on 2021. And the first tip is develop an indifferent attitude to things that you cannot change. That it always makes me think maybe because my upbringing that, you know, God give me serenity for the things I cannot change and alcohol for the ones that I can't or the other way around. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but, but again, I, in, a, in a serious note to that, it is important to understand what you can change, what you can influence, where is your circle of influence and really what is worth to be worried or not worried. You know, the second is deprioritize tasks that are going to bring stress without any return. And how many times have all of us, or maybe me only, okay, stress about something that after it's done is like, and I was stressing, why? Um, so I think that's really, really important. Find how to rebuild your passion and curiosity after 
burning out. And before the break, we were talking about that certain burnout. Well, how you are going to including all this rejuvenation into your day-to-day -day and your stuff. Final, the next one is take advantage of the flexibility that some of us has and match your internal clock with your workday. And as we come now to the next stage of that change, that may be challenging, but Again, what do you need? You need more silence, and maybe you need to wake up a little bit early. What do you need better? And, um, use the scientific method to find your ideal working, and you know you can read a lot of that following Matt uh, from Sarvana because that's a big thing of what they do. And this number six is create hard boundaries on excessive email, all-day Zoom calls, and late network. And, you know, if you use a Windows machine or a Mac, hey, create your desktop, you know. As Ray was describing early, create maybe one where you put all that communication, email, messages, fine. That is something we have repeat over and over in this show today. Find what works well for you. If you want to get a lot more of that calm and a lot more of that focus and productivity, really, you need to think what works for you and your style. Yeah, I thought the article uh, provided a bunch of really good tips and tricks, and it's well worth looking at in, in uh, once we put the show notes together to, to watch and uh, read that article. Uh, because, you know, there, there are a lot of uh, areas in which we feel uh, that stress of being uh, locked down in this environment. We're not all introverts. Uh, <laughs> so we do need a little bit of 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 um you know work uh when we are extroverted and i happen to be an ambivert so i can go to very extreme extroversion or to very uh you know extreme introversion and so uh, i can see how some of these things can be really useful for extroverts when they are feeling that sense of of being closed in and burned out from uh from this situation matt yeah, I was just going to make a comment around the first one, <clears throat> which is uh, around, you know, not stressing over things you can't control. And I think one of the things I talk a lot about with people is the how we define success on a daily basis. And I think, you know, perhaps early in your career, you can define success as getting everything done on your list, your to do list, especially if you're you know doing a daily list on a piece of paper. Right. But what happens is people move into a mode where there's just you know, and I'm sure this is true for me. I'm sure it's true for probably everyone on the call is that there's always so much you could do that you could never, you'll never get done with your list. And yet we still define success as getting everything done that we, you know, that is on our list. And so what happens is when the day ends, we end up thinking about those things because they feel incomplete and we, you know, stay connected to our workplace. Uh, but if we define success on a daily basis instead by saying, what is it that I'm setting out to accomplish today? And did I accomplish what I set out to accomplish that can redefine it in a way that's actually achievable and can allow you to not carry that sense of anxiety or open-endedness um, past the workday? So that is, you know, a specific example of how you might think about applying that first point. Yeah, I mean, I think that brings up to the hard boundaries piece, right? Which, you know, I think that when, you know, one thing that I do and that I have uh, most of my clients doing is like an end of day planning process where you're taking stock of what happened and you're actually putting different dates on those things so that tomorrow, so that nothing's in the overdue status, right? Because you're right, we're never going to finish everything that's on our to do list. And I like that uh, Ray already used dying as an example because I tend to use that too. And then I feel a little bit bad about it. But I always say, like, look, we're going to die with a big long list of all the stuff we didn't do. 
And that's okay. Um, the way I think about it, which is like maybe a tweak on what you just said, but I think we're saying the same thing, Matt, is that like you just want to know that what you did today was more important than the things you didn't do. Because if we can say that, if like I feel like that's success, right? Like if I can say, hey, I'm confident the things I did today were more important than the things I didn't do, I feel like that's uh, similar to your intention setting and I did, did I accomplish that or not. Yeah, that's good. I like that. And, you know, at the beginning of the call, we're talking about putting everything in a box and getting out of your home office. And I tell a lot of my clients when they feel that anxiety and that anxiety, I understand it, come and go. But if you find yourself into that anxiety, go for an index card. Okay. You can only write in here what you're going to do and what feels. And if you have a big and writing like I do, you can only write two or three because it's not enough, but it needs to be a three by five because there is, even if you have a small handwriting, you can only write so much. And especially when you get that inside that you feel there is so much, win one index card at the time. Yeah, Linda's noting here that she sets a focus each morning, and if she gets that done, she's proud of herself, and we're proud of you too. Uh, and so uh, what's our next story, Auguste? And now we are going to the gear section. So Acer unveils an AMD Racing Power Chromebook, the Spin 514, and Acer uh, release a bunch of interesting Chromebooks. They're really doing uh a lot with that. And there is actually discount for this machine, uh, but it's really, really fast, really, really powerful. So if you are looking for a new Chromebook, this may be a good option. Or our next one is the Samsung Galaxy Chromebook 2 that for a person who loves the color orange has been a really temptation. I do not need it. I do not anything, but it's an orange computer. And it's been taking every ounce of the maturity that I have that is not much not to buy it right now, just to have it in my desk. Yeah, there's there's some, some interesting uh, comparisons between the two of them that Chrome Unboxed really um, un, unsurfaced, uh, kind of surfaced here, which is that, so so the uh, the... AMD, the Acer uh, Chromebook 514, that spin is actually a 14-inch uh, display. Uh, it's a touch panel, so you've got a two-in-one where you can flip the display around and, and tent it and make it into a tablet-type uh, device. Uh, but it is uh, running uh, Wi-Fi 5, so it's a version behind. Uh, and the Samsung Galaxy Chromebook is actually a lesser-powered device, 13-inch uh, screen, but a lesser-powered device than its predecessor, the Chromebook, uh, mm-hmm. the, the Galaxy Chromebook that Samsung put out. So I'm, I'm a little curious here how it will actually operate because uh, Samsung here is uh, making a play at maybe optimizing the device well enough uh, and and noting that Chrome OS has evolved or matured enough that the first edition at a higher price point, um, they bring down the price point and they are making it a little less feature a uh, little less spec rich uh, than the prior one, uh, and uh, and they also put Wi-Fi six on it. So so the Acer uh, AMD Ryzen based chip uh, won the Chromebook uh, uh, Spin five fourteen. Um, that's running fi- Wi-Fi five. The Samsung Galaxy Chromebook two is running Wi-Fi six and um, has a longer battery life. And so you're getting some mixed kind of out the gate, uh, you know options here in the new year um, coming out of CES 2021. And I'm really, I mean, you know, we talked about this at the end of last year, which is that this is the year where we're going to see a whole host of new Chromebooks. We're going to see so many of them um, glut onto the market. 
And we're going to have such great options uh, by by probably June, July. Uh, you know, that we're really going to see all of these various varieties of new Chromebooks. I'm I'm just uh, utterly excited, and I'm I am scared for my pocketbook uh, because <laughs> I I know that I'm going to want at least a few of these uh, devices, uh, which I will fully admit I do not need at the moment. Uh, so, uh, but you know, we have a, we have a lot of options, and these articles just note for us that we are seeing a reduction in the price. Actually, Art is noting that right now. He says the cost is significantly lower, and it's an uh, excellent introduction uh, machine with the S Pen. Uh, and what he's talking about is the Samsung Galaxy Chromebook 2 is that S Pen compatible, uh, which is really, really brilliant. Uh, so uh, we're, it's uh, no, Art's continuing to note that it's a replacement from the Chromebook Pro and Chromebook Plus. Uh, and I have the I have the Chromebook Plus, and uh, and and as well as the 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 uh, I think I have the Flip C three something but you know both have been great devices uh from samsung and uh so yes these are the predecessors uh, the successors to those and uh and we'll see what what samsung puts out uh later this year because you know they're going to be putting out more uh chromebooks later this year augusto onward to our next story on our next story comes from lifehack and it's a long article talking about how to train yourself when you lack attention to detail and it is a really interesting, it comes with a bunch of tips and uh, I think there's 11 or 12 of them, 12 of them of what you can do to help if you lack that attention of detail. And it is important, not only for the work to push out, but especially when you deal with people who are really prone to detail-oriented things. You know, there is people who... Don't mind much, uh, let's fix it quick. There is people who don't. So if you work with those other kind, then this give a couple of good, give me a couple of good ideas so you can work better with with them and you can then make it better for both. Fantastic. And so for time purposes, we're going to move on. What's our next story? Microsoft? Microsoft rolls out a new navigation tool for mobile. So... Microsoft is really trying to get uh, work the, the, the Windows apps stronger into the iOS. They are finally, seems like they're going to level up the game between the desktop and the mobile. They, for many years, the mobile... You muted yourself somehow. ...has lagged behind. Oh, there you go. And now, uh, yeah, it's a skill. Um, I told you. Okay, uh, but seems seems like Microsoft now have decided to keep mobile as well as desktop in a one level, and that's going to be incredibly good for everybody. Yeah, so the new uh, design experience is bringing that uh, this heading functionality uh, into the mobile experience. So now you can actually navigate the document by heading and jump to these portions. They're bringing this first to, to Microsoft Word in the mobile applications, and then we'll see this probably scale out into other pieces. Uh, you can see some of this in uh, kind of the, the flavor of Google Sheets right now. When you look at a workbook in Google Sheets, there's a three bars icon in the bottom left-hand corner of your screen. And when you click on that icon, it shows you all of the sheets. If you have hundreds of sheets in a Google Sheets workbook, uh, you can now jump to that it's kind of that same concept where you'll now have that in the mobile experience based on the headers in the microsoft uh, word document and so uh, that's great to add a uh, google uh, augusto uh, what's our next story so including continue hurting your pocketbook dell is launching monitors with uh microsoft teams buttons so you can get faster to those uh 
Microsoft team and meetings if you are into into that environment. That's not going to. That's not now. Last week and the and the e ink monitor that could take my money. Yeah. Like that would take my or, money. But yeah, but yeah. the but the monitor with a baked in Microsoft Teams button. I mean that just seems like you know begging for a market. I you know that doesn't seem like to me anything uh, useful uh, to people, especially since you're not going to have enough features to be able to really manage the team. Oh, no, no, I don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a DOA, dead on arrival. Uh, we're, we're in the mo- we're in the morbid, uh, you know, uh, uh, discussion tonight. But uh, go go ahead. What's our next story? Well, Gusto? and then since we're talking about about you know DOAs and morbids, let's talk about Microsoft Edge. And Microsoft Edge now has how to enable tab groups into uh, into the browser. You know, as some people know, Microsoft Edge basically got a Chromium version out of that, so now they're being able to get some of those um, features into the Microsoft Edge. And finally, they got tab groups into that. Yep, absolutely. And so uh, this is uh, an extension of the Chromium project. And so we're going to see all of those pieces uh, come together. Uh, Art is noting uh, that's a Teams Bixby button. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, poor Bixby, poor Bixby. Uh, anyway, and, and there's a reference there to Bixby, to the Star Trek world. For those of you who are Trekkies, uh, there was a, a nod to, to the real Bixby, uh, not not that Samsung thing. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> um, we have reached the end of our stories of the week. And uh, that brings us to the Science of Productivity segment with Matt Plummer from Zarvana. And so, Matt, uh, we're going to give you the floor. Uh, take it away. Thanks, Ray. Welcome to the Science of Productivity segment. In this segment, what I try to do is just bring some new research and, or, you know, new to me, new to you on how to accomplish your goals faster. So you, we've cited some research along the way, but this actually comes from a friend um, at the University of Miami in Ohio who's been doing some research around creativity. And when you think about creativity, oftentimes we think that those who are, you know, most uh, interested in taking risk and most open to taking risks would be those who would be more creative. Well, what Scott Dust and his colleague did at the University of Miami is they tested different uh, groupings of a supervisor and a direct report. And they had them vary there in terms of how open they were to risk. And you might think that if both were high in being open to risk, that that would be the most creative pairing. But actually, that didn't turn out to be the case. What turned out to be the case is that the where the pairs had differences in their openness to risk, that was where there was the most creativity. So if the supervisor was, you know, high on openness to risk and the direct report was low or vice versa, that's where there was greater creativity. And when they began to unpack this, what they found is that the characteristic of intellectual stimulation is what drove the increase in creativity. And by intellectual stimulation, basically the idea that people are pushing back on their ideas, that there was debate or discussion and disagreement there actually led to creativity. And so when we think about creativity, it's both being novel and valuable. So the bringing those two together to actually be able to be valuable is where that creates creativity. And that's why you need both of those pieces of the puzzle. You need those who are really open to risk and those who are not. So as you think about your teams, as you think about an entrepreneurial venture or an entrepreneurial venture, be sure to include those who are not so open to risk. Otherwise, uh, you'll actually diminish your creativity. 
All right. Thanks for listening to the Science of Productivity segment. Thank you, Matt. And uh, so with that, uh, I have to reorganize everybody on screen now so I know who to look at when. Uh, that was the Science of Productivity segment with Matt Plummer from Zarvana. And so thank you, Matt. Uh, next up is our segment uh, that is uh, – are we doing a uh, featured story first, Augusto, or are we doing new tools? I thought we were doing new tools and then featured stories, what we normally do. New tools it is. Uh, so uh, let's kick into our new tools of the week segment. In essence, Augusto and I come across many personal productivity tools and services each week. And in that search, uh, we come across many that we actually like. Uh, some uh, we just think are novel and interesting to you. And so we try to bring those to you uh, in this segment, which is the new tools of the week. Uh, I, I was noting before we started recording that it maybe needs uh, to lose the new part, but we'll, we'll figure that out later. Um, either way, we've also invited our uh, panelists to also offer some items up. I'm going to bring them up on screen as we talk about them and uh, so that we can, uh, you know, kind of view them together. And so let's get started. I actually changed mine last minute because I, uh, with it being Office Desk Organization Day, I thought, why not uh, put something that was a little bit more connected to that? And it happens to be something that I have been uh, looking at in um, in line with all of that. And so my first, uh, well, the first uh, new tool of the week, I'm going to bring it up on screen here very quickly. And it is the Verydesk 48. And uh, so hopefully you can see this now. And so uh, Verydesk provides a whole um, set of different uh, uh, sit-stand desks. Uh, their uh, primary product was the Verydesk Executive, which you basically put on top of your desk, and it allowed you to put your monitor, keyboard, mouse, and other uh, peripherals on a platform, and then you could raise and lower that so you could have basically a normal desk and then raise it to a standing position. Uh, this latest iteration is a desk itself, the, the full desk, and so this desk allows you to be able to have your desk space, the whole desk raise and lower, a little akin to what uh, Matt was talking about earlier with having a desk that you can kind of set the, the height to. Uh, this one gives you the capabilities of uh, raising and lowering it, uh, you know, with a little electric pad. So you can you can press the button and it can raise and lower to uh, really any uh, level you want in its height. Um, so up to that 48 inch uh, height, and it's just a really uh, nice desk, and you can you can do a lot with it. It's sturdy, and uh, and so yeah. So I I just I'm I've been looking at various desks like this. I, I think um, having uh, only one uh, um, access to work on, which is, you know, this one in front of you access is probably not enough for me. So I have been looking at getting either two of these, uh, which doesn't make as much sense or, uh, getting uh, a, a desk like this that is uh, L-shaped because I, I really want to be able to turn and have a different uh, kind of setup and uh, you know one that's kind of recording and teaching and one that is me working in the the kind of deep work um, what I would call focused action work space and so I'm just looking at those different ones and so this is something that you can look at and I really um, I like this one a lot so far. All right, with that, Augusto, what is your new tool? this week my new tool is an application called scrivener uh if you work with long text you like you know one of the things on the beginning of the year is i have heard a lot of people saying oh i will this is the year i'm going to write that book well if you're looking to this is the year you want to write this book this will be the tool that i will recommend you scrivener it works on the mac it works on the pc it works um uh, Windows and Windows and Mac mostly, but and obviously on the on the iPads. But 
what it's going to allow you to do is to organize all that manuscript. Sorry, you cannot write a book in Word. Uh, it's impossible. You can organize that. You will end up with a bazillion of files. This will allow you to organize, move things, make comments and all that and make your life a lot more easy and fun. So it is a tool I've been using and I really love. I've been using it for a really long time. So if you work with those kind of things or, you know, you do technical writing or you do those kind of things where the multiple files are part of the requirement, look into this. It is a really beautiful app and has been a fantastic thing in my toolbox. Fantastic. Thank you, Augusto. And next up, Alexis. All right. So mine actually speaks a little bit to your virtual desktop idea, but this is a, a Chrome extension called Cluster, and it's a tab manager. And what I really like about this is that it allows you to say, you know, you have certain types of work that you're doing throughout the week or throughout the month. So, you know, in my case, like I'm writing blog, like I'm writing a blog post once a week, right? It allows me to save all the different tabs that I need open when I'm writing a blog post. So it's my email because I've got to send something to someone and you know, Squarespace, because that's where I'm actually writing it, and YouTube, because I'm making a video about it, and all of those different things. It allows you to save these um, tabs so that you can just go in and click blog posts, and it opens a window with all the tabs you need. Or for monthly accounting, same thing. You know, I need I need to have my bank open, and I need to have my accounting software open, and I need to have X, Y, and Z. You have all of those, so then you don't have to feel like you need to have the 50 tabs open all the time so that you can automatically get to the things. You just have a little extension there that allows you to go specifically to the things you need and then close it out when you're done with that task or project. Fantastic. Thank you, Alexis. And last but not least, uh, Matt, what is your new tool this week? Yeah, so I just started using the Sleep app for Apple Watch. And so I guess this probably rolled out back in the fall. Uh, I wasn't aware of it uh, at that point. And it, it appears that, so the way it works is is basically you need to activate it, turn it on in your settings on your watch. And then, <clears throat> uh, you know, it will automatically track your sleep. And that's what I've, you know, I was using uh, Sleep Cycle before, which you may have heard of, uh, which you know, you basically, you have to kind of turn it on when you're going to sleep and then, you know, turn it off when you're, when you are done for, you know, wake up in the morning. And that I found problematic just to remember to have to go through that process of turning it on and off. And so what I like about this is you just wear your Apple watch to bed and it tracks when you're in bed and when you're asleep. It was interesting. The other night I, one of our uh, daughters woke up and so I had to get up in the middle of the night, go see what was going on there. And it actually, you can see in my sleep that, like I was it, which is kind of interesting, but it technically classified me as being in bed, but not asleep during that time. So um, if you have an Apple watch, this is a, a nice way that you can activate that without, without having to pay more for some of the other sleep apps on the market there. Fantastic. Thank you, Matt. And uh, for those of you who don't know, these features are available both on iOS and Android. So you have the equivalent if you're using Wear OS with your Android device. And then, of course, if you're using the Apple Watch uh, and your iOS devices, you can pair those two together. And you can get so much data uh, about yourself in both Apple HealthKit uh, connected to, to integrated applications and also with Google Fit integrated with those other applications. And, I, I, for example, I use SleepDroid and SleepCycle. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit of a data hoarder in that sense. I like to see the comparison. I also like to see um, if there's 
uh, a statistically significant difference between one set of data and the others. Uh, so I like to see whether or not they're they're calculating in the same way, and many times they are not. And so what would be quality sleep for me in one application would be not quality sleep in the other. And so it's really uh, useful to me to be able to just stay, stay skeptical as it relates to the data that I'm getting, and that helps me actually mediate my uh, my. Uh, what would be a knee-jerk reaction? Oh gosh, I didn't get enough sleep. When I see the two data uh, sets together, I can say, okay, you know what? Well, it was kind of a balance between those two. And that helps me understand uh, my own uh, needs for change a little bit more, uh, you know, kind of middle of the ground along the way. Wonderful. Great new tools of the week. And that brings us now to the um, the the uh, pinnacle of our conversation <laughs> which is our story of the week. Uh, maybe I'm hyping it too much, but we are going to be talking about Asana and um, Seeking Alpha put out an article about uh, Asana's revenue growth and that uh, it's, its growth and its revenue. Uh, that is to say that it has had, um, you know, really high revenue growths, uh, but that it's still not currently priced at the top of the market uh, where it should be. And I'm, I'm really curious about everybody's perspectives on Asana because uh, Asana seems to have risen from, you know, it, it kind of like slowly but surely has been rising in popularity across the, the ecosystem. And now it commands a fairly strong uh, uh, group of of certified consultants, the Asana Pros. It has a very stable uh, user base that is using Asana in uh, the many different flavors that it's capable of being, you know, you can go from free all the way up to these, you know, high level business class uh, upgrades. And uh, it seems like a lot of people uh, use and love Asana. And so uh, I'm curious where you think Asana is going um, in line with uh, this article and, uh, you know, just kind of general thoughts there. Who wants to who wants to kick us off with Asana and whether or not you think Asana is going to grow or contract in 2021? <laughs> well, I don't know whether they're going to grow. Or, I, mean, I, I I learned from 2020 we don't make predictions, right? That's also <laughs> good. I, yeah, we I don't I, we're not we're not in um, the uh, investment uh, world making right. predictions, but, right? But I think you know what I've noticed about Asana too is that so I don't Asana is not the platform that I use. But it is the platform that I recommend most frequently to my clients who have teams that they want to work with. And so whether that's, you know, like I'm going to recommend something different if it's just them by themselves. Um, but from a price point and from a, a capabilities, like the, the ability to view things in, you know, cards, et cetera, that it has built in chat, that it has a lot of these things and it's still quite easy to use. I actually think that they've built a really good product where, you know, there might be some similar uh similar platforms i like better like Rike, but it's much like three times as expensive for the you know first tier plan right and so i think that they they really kind of built a sweet spot for themselves and everyone likes their name too <laughs> you know they're, they're nice and easy to say but i do i do think that they're probably going to continue to grow right and so so that everybody knows they uh they pronounce their name as asana as opposed uh, as opposed to the yoga uh, you know, flow, which is asana. Uh, and so they are, they are mispronouncing on purpose and it is asana. So we, we're all on the same page there, but it is easy to say, right? And, mm -hmm. uh, and so the article really covers some, some really interesting highlights just so that we're all on the same page here. Uh, one, it notes that the company's uh, goal really internally is to grow in the enterprise uh, space. And so this team organization and, uh, and workflow development is really, uh, you know, kind of in there. Uh, laser focus right now. And that means they are attempting to really uh, 
build out features that are going to be useful to those organizations. They've built out goals and this ability for you to be able to uh, manage against those goals and share them in a team environment. And so they're working really hard also on automation and getting those automation features really built out. And I, I've actually been really impressed with both their integration capabilities, uh, you know, even with, uh, say, Zoom now being able to integrate with Zoom, uh, being able to uh, automate some of these things so that you're able to tag something and then have uh, Asana go ahead and trigger those actions associated with it. So lots of really uh, fine-grained pieces. Uh, one uh, kind of friction point I have found is that I can never really tell which feature I have or don't have at any given moment. Because uh, as you switch between work uh, workspaces and accounts, uh, you'll find that you know one is limited and one is not, and then you feel this this kind of uh, of push and pull. I, I find that same problem in Trello right now. Right? You, you, since they since they started this whole process, you know these are business class boards and teams, and these are not, and it's just it's very confusing to me how to consistently use the tool across the various spaces when different accounts have different, not different accounts, but different, uh, you know, internal spaces have different licensing structures associated with it. It's a natural pain point, And I hope that both Atlassian with Trello, but also Asana themselves figures those pain points out so that we can have a better, uh, you know, more productive use of the tool because across the board, it just feels normative. It feels like it flows. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, the article also uh, notes that they are um, seeing really high revenue growth rates. Uh, and so that's that's just good for the product. I think that means that more people are who have gone online uh, in the kind of, uh, uh, you know, intra-COVID-19 times, uh, likely post-COVID, uh, will continue to use that product because they've invested in that infrastructure. And um, so I, I just feel like it was time for a lot of businesses to embrace a, a digital, both, both coordination, project management, and project collaboration space. And they have done that now. And they, it's very unlikely that they're going to scale back, uh, you know, at that point. Most businesses are going to stay in that space. Augusto, thoughts? Yeah, it was an it was an important thing. Even that, even that the numbers may not be what the analyst wants, and that we see regardless the product or the platform. One of the reasons that I was important for me is I've been playing on productivity for for a really long time. And if you will have told me twenty years ago that an application not from a big house like a Microsoft or something like that on productivity was going to make it, you know, that way in the stock market where people is paying attention, you know, I will have laughed. And it is interesting to see how the world of productivity has come to a certain extent a lot more mainstream where people now is looking for these apps. And like Alexis, if you have a team, this is one of the three apps I tend to talk, you know, depending what your team is, I tend to talk about Asana, Todoist, or Nosby Teams. Those are the three apps that I recommend to clients, depending what they want and what is the style that they use. Fantastic. So, of course, Seeking Alpha is trying to give advice in terms of like investment purposes. And so we're not at all uh, telling you to invest in Asana. No. Um, certainly not uh, financially, maybe in your business and even in your productivity world. Yeah, maybe, uh, but not as a financial uh, vehicle uh, for, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, that being the case, I, you know, I, I, I think that it's important for us to recognize that the business models associated with them, this is why I, I, I 
always urge Augusto and I and everyone else to add uh, these kinds of stories into the mix is that many times we forget that personal productivity is a market. And when we think about the the just the planner market alone, you know, the multi-billion dollar uh, you know, paper industry. Uh, we have all of these disparate pieces in the productivity, uh, home and office organization, and technology worlds, and they blend together and they impact us. Uh, whether or not Asana does well will impact whether or not some other, you know, little startup uh, out of Silicon Valley or Silicon Alley, that is New York City, uh, you know, or Houston or Austin or any of other areas of, around the country where we have tech hubs, uh, you know, whether they get funded, they get seed funding to be able to, to make, uh, you know, their their stab at being able to uh, bring a productivity product to the market. And so it's important for us all to be aware of of really the the uh, the different voices that are impacting how something like a SaaS enterprise tool like Asana is going to be, uh, you know, um, going to flourish in the stock market or not. And so I think it's just always good for us to have a reminder that uh, money, unfortunately, is a great um, lever in our overall uh, discussion related to productivity and technology and organization. And uh, so with that, we have a couple of announcements before we close out. Augusto, uh, I'll hand it over to you for the Apple Safari announcement because I, I admit I have no idea what that preview is asking or telling about. And then we have just two more items after that. Well, Apple is consistently releasing the uh, technology preview. If you're a, a person interested, basically what it does is it brings the performance and improvement of the new technology so you can better test it and and play with it. This one in particular has improvement on the web inspector, CSS, JavaScript, uh, media private, among other things, the web API. So if you are into developing and all this, this is important for you. And as we know, we have a lot of friends in that world. Fantastic. Okay, so Todoist and as well as Remember the Milk and a couple of other applications have their reviews now, that, that review capability now available. So if you go to todo, uh, todoist.com forward slash review forward slash 2020, uh, it will redirect you to log into your Todoist account and then it will show you your productivity trends and everything you accomplished over the last 12 months. And so it's really nice. Uh, Remember the Milk gives you the same thing. It gives you a little uh, trophy icon. You can click on the trophy and see how many tasks you've completed. So a lot of these apps have those in there. And I, I find them actually be very useful just as a, a reflection tool, as well as a motivator to see whether or not you can beat uh, your existing score uh, in, in the current year. And I know 2020 was tough for a lot of us. And so uh, certainly set your uh, standards, uh, you know, uh, realistically in terms of that, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to overshoot your standards so that you can go ahead and feel great about uh, the end of 2021 when we get there. So, uh, but I, I still do like data. And I think that it's important for us to be at least mindful of the fact that there is all of this data out there about us and it can be motivating. Uh, our last note is a press release out of the Michael Hyatt and company. Uh, they have announced a new CEO and uh, it's wonderful to see Michael Hyatt, the, the founder of Michael Hyatt and company, uh, the, the author and uh, productivity expert. Uh, he is uh, stepping down as CEO of the company and elevating his daughter, uh, Megan Hyatt Miller. Uh, Megan has been uh, you know, acting as the, uh, not acting, she has been the chief operating officer of the company uh, since the very beginning. She has been a part of the company, uh, but now she's assuming that role and Michael is, is assuming the role of founder and chairman of the board. So um, just really uh, wonderful and hat tip uh, to Megan. Uh, really congratulations uh, for uh, your new position. And we look forward to seeing uh, more of what Michael Hyatt and company has to offer over the next years. Uh, most of you know uh, the the programs, the coloring books that have come out of Michael Hyatt and company. Uh, there's so many uh, great uh, uh, both, uh, you know, the podcast, all of the things that, that they do. And uh, 
we appreciate them and uh, look forward to seeing what they have in store under new leadership. Uh, so, and it's wonderful to see a woman elevate uh, to CEO of a productivity company of that size and uh, to see what she has in store for it as well. So I look forward to hearing uh, if you are listening, Megan, or watching. We want to know what you're up to. What are you planning for <laughs> Michael Hyatt and Company? We want to hear. Uh, we're very excited uh, about that. All right. Uh, we have reached the top of our time together. And so I wanted to give our panelists an opportunity to tell us how to keep in touch with them um, after the fact. So um, with that, Alexis... You were first on the stage. I'm going to take you off first. And uh, so how can folks um, keep up to date with what you've got, got going on in the world? Yeah, thank you for having me on. And people can find me at alexishasselberger.com, which I know is a real mouthful. So thank you for putting it up there and in the, the show notes. Um, I have some freebies you can download there about how to really make yourself a bit more productive in just a few minutes. Um, you can also find me at... Uh, at, on Facebook at do more stress less and on Instagram at do dot more dot stress dot less. Um, so I'd love to hear from any of you. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being here on anything but idle Alexis. Yeah. Thank you. And with that, Matt Plummer from Zervana, how can folks keep in touch with you? Yeah. Thanks, Ray. Great to be on the show again. Uh, so you can reach me at zarvana.com. Um, that's Z-A-R-V-A-N-A. -A. Uh, and if you're interested in the science of productivity segments in particular, you can uh, go to the, the YouTube channel for Zarvana and um, you can see the all the past ones there as well. So thanks for having me. Thank you as always for being here, Matt, and for the science of productivity segment. All right, Augusto. And then there were two. Uh, so I want to just yeah, as a big reader of Agatha Christie, that sentence always creeped me out because it's me who is going out. I, I, I am I am not I'm not offing you, uh, even though this this episode has has had had a lot of death talk in it. Uh, we want you alive and well. But uh, thank you so much, Augusto, for joining me this and every week on Anything But Idle. Thank you. Uh, with that, if there's a story we missed, if there's something you wanted to comment on, uh, feel free to head over to anythingbutidle.com, and you can go ahead and uh, comment on the episode page. For any episode, just go to anythingbutidle.com forward slash and the three-digit episode number. And so this is episode 38, so it would be 038. And that'll take you right there to the episode page, and you can go ahead and comment there. And if we missed a story or something you wanted to comment on, that's the place to do it. Uh, you can also tweet at us. Uh, you can also DM us. Our direct messages are open at anythingbutidle on Twitter. Twitter. Uh, while you're at Anything But Idle, you can find out the show notes. You can see the show notes there that has links to all the stories, including some extras that we can't cover in this time frame. Uh, tools of the week, the uh, the text transcripts, both to read on the page, but also as a uh, PDF download. So you can access that there as well. Um, if this is your first time watching, feel free to uh, click the subscribe button. That'll notify you of future live streams like this. And uh, feel free to click the thumbs up icon. Uh, that helps us to bring new personal productivity friends into the fold. And so thank you for doing that. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, uh, asynchronously with us, uh, feel free to subscribe to the podcast by going to anythingbutidle.com, click on subscribe, and you'll get instructions on how to do that and uh, get the podcast download, downloaded free every week uh, that way. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us live during the show, for listening after the fact, and we will see you all next time on Anything But Idle. Here's to your productive life.